The Truth News Network. In the universe of mandates, whatever happened to my body, my choice, is that still a thing? Hmm. Well, that's one for the lawyers, I suppose. What exactly is the truth there? Well, this is TNN. The Truth News Network. And we ask questions like that under the direction of Dan Newman. We ask a lot of questions. Fortunately for you and for us, we're able to get a lot of answers. That's what we're about today on this show. That's what we're about every day. Here, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time on TNN Live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another day. And we have another day of pure American chaos underway. What are we talking about? Well, it's Wednesday. It's hump day. And so we got to get down to business. That's what Americans think. And getting down to business means business at hand, which is tear the Constitution up. Kick everybody that's in office today that thinks differently from us. Kick them out of office and just blow everything up and just do what the Democrats say we need to do. Of course, we're talking about that leaked opinion on Roe v. Wade leaked by somebody at the U.S. Supreme Court, and we're going to get into what's happening to that person or what can and will happen to that person if that person's caught. But that 98-page opinion yesterday, we read a specific clause in it that pretty much summed up what is in the process of happening if what's in this draft opinion of the court, of the majority opinion of the court, if it becomes the rule of the court. We may not know about that until sometime in June. We may know sooner. But everybody is speculating on who did it and why they did it. Meanwhile, the fact that it happened frosted Washington, D.C. It frosted Chief Justice Roberts, who didn't wait at all. The Supreme Court responded today or late yesterday, to the leak of the draft ruling and confirmed its authenticity. They issued a statement from Chief Justice Roberts. He called the leak a betrayal of the confidences of the institution. It was Politico that published that draft copy of the courts Monday evening, and it suggested the landmark abortion law, Roe v. Wade, would be overturned. The court confirmed the document's authenticity, but said the draft doesn't represent any kind of final decision by the court or the final position of any member in the case. To the extent this betrayal of the confidences of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations, this is Chief Justice Roberts speaking, it will not succeed, adding that the work of the court will not be affected in any way. He also directed the marshal of the Supreme Court. This one kind of intrigues me a bit. The marshal of the Supreme Court is going to carry out an investigation into the leak and the individual who leaked it to the press. Should the leaker be identified, it's not clear what punitive actions will be taken against them, although Roberts said the leak could be considered a significant breach of trust. We at the court are blessed to have a workforce permanent employees and law clerks who are intensely loyal 
to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law. That's what Roberts had to say. Court employees have an exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of the judicial process and upholding the trust of the court. According to that draft opinion that was, by the way, authored by Justice Samuel Alito, quote, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. Now that's referring also to the 92 ruling Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It's time to heed the Constitution, Alito said, and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. In other words, to the people's houses in the various of the 50 states. Later this year, the court is set to issue a ruling in connection with a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Mississippi's Attorney General's office had urged the justices to use the case to overturn Roe v. Wade, which argued that a woman has a constitutional right to get an abortion. More from what Alito said in this opinion. We emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right, Alito wrote, according to the draft published by Politico anyway. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. This opinion, which Politico claims was shared with the other justices in February, was labeled as a first draft. Now, they, they, they may do four, five, six, or seven. This may already be decided, and sometimes, folks, it looks exactly opposite because these were not voted on. These are initially opinions that were put together to make this draft. If the court does overturn Roe, it will fall on our nation's elected officials at every level of government to protect a woman's right to choose. This is from President Joe Biden. He said that in a statement that did not mention the fact that the draft was leaked. And it will fall on voters to elect pro-choice officials coming up this November. At the federal level, we will need more pro-choice senators and a pro-choice majority in the House to adopt legislation that codifies Roe, which Biden says he will work to pass and sign into law. So in response to that, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, he said in a statement that while he supports the opinion, leaking the draft is an appalling affront against a critical institution and should be fully investigated and those responsible should be punished. Do you think we are hearing the last of this? <laughs> you and I both know this is just the beginning. Biden again, he's already said, I believe that a woman's right to choose is fundamental. Roe has been the law of the land for almost 50 years. And basic fairness and the stability of our law demands that it not be overturned. If the court does overturn Roe, he said, it will fall on our nation's elected officials at every level to protect a women's right to choose. And it will fall on voters to elect those pro-choice officials this November. Are you kind of getting the gist of why this thing was leaked? 
Why do you think it was leaked? I'll give you my opinion. I know that will shock some of you that I will express an opinion on this show. But my opinion, it was purposely leaked ahead of the midterm elections to try to whip up frenzy among the left and portray this whole thing. If we don't kick Republicans that support this out of office at our midterms, women will no longer have the rights over their own bodies. This is coming from a sense of desperation that I am sensing, and I'm sure many of you are too, across this nation. People are struggling. People are trying to get a hand on what's going on with this administration and this president. And to be honest with you, most people don't like it. They think he is cognitively unable to make good decisions. And somebody else is actually making decisions and pushing Joe out on the front of a, of a stage to make a presentation, basically hoping that he can read verbatim from the teleprompter on what they've told him to say to the American people. Nobody in their right mind thinks that Joe Biden is creating all of this policy. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. Who's doing it? I don't know. That's a conspiracy. I have my ideas, and it may not be a conspiracy. Somebody definitely is. If they're not making the decisions, they're right in Joe's ear the entire time when he's laying them out. And others had huge roles in crafting all these things that are coming out of Joe Biden's mouth. So right now, what's going on? Well, Pro-life and pro-abortion activists, they got together outside the Supreme Court Tuesday morning following that report. On Monday evening, when shortly after Politico published that decision that supposedly is written by Justice Samuel Alito and circulated around the court, people began to head to the Supreme Court building. Now, don't forget, this is about a law. That's what the Supreme Court does. They don't make policy. They just don't do that. They're not constitutionally allowed to do that. They are to weigh in on laws primarily and incidents that happen around the nation. And there are laws either allowing those things to be done or keeping them from being done that are being tested as being constitutionally okay or not. So there is a law that this is all about. It revolves around Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. And that's the most significant challenge in decades to the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. That decision declared abortion to be protected by the Constitution. Whoever it was leaked the draft to Politico of all places. And Doing that is an act considered by many to be an original sin for judicial ethics, one of the greatest breaches of security in the history of the court. This has never happened before. I mean, the court's over 200 years old. It has never happened before. Pro-life activists, including Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, PAAU, they gathered at the Supreme Court Monday night and Tuesday morning 
saying they reacted with cautious optimism to news that a majority of the court may strike down Roe and Casey, landmark decisions that together legalized abortion in the U.S. Students for Life is a group that was also there. The group's president, Kristen Hawkins, said that while the validity of the report is not yet fully known, ending Roe is the right decision. Ending preborn human life is and has always been a judicial error. The court cannot allow the bullying tactics of the left, combined with the threat of chaos caused by an unprecedented leak to change the right course, the end of Roe. Notably, fence barricades went up around the Supreme Court Monday evening. After that leak happened, that's likely a response to the potential backlash from radical pro-abortion protesters. And i got to be honest with you, what's going on and has been going on since Tuesday, it's just the beginning. It's only going to get thicker, more widespread, and more negative, if that's possible. So let me tell you what the gist of this is going to be. Assuming that this draft opinion or one like it is going to be approved by the nine members of the Supreme Court. What's going to happen? This is not going to outlaw abortion. It's not going to. What it is doing, if it is the right thing, the final thing, if it stands, all it's going to do is push the legality of abortion away from the federal government back down to the states where it was before Roe v. Wade. So what does that mean? That means that the state legislatures of the 50 states have the sole right to determine if abortions will be legal and under what terms and conditions that would happen in each individual state. So in other words, it will will not be something that is part of a Supreme Court agenda as long as it follows the guidelines of the allowances in the Constitution. And don't forget, there is no mention. The word abortion is nowhere in the Constitution. But the 14th Amendment, and I, I tell you what, go read the 14th Amendment. You'll find out the basis for Casey and Roe v. Wade, those two pieces of legislation that are being referenced in that opinion that was released by Alito that says they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade based upon the 14th Amendment. This is going to be controversial for now on, for a multitude of reasons, not just about abortion, not just about women's rights, but because of the way this all happened. So what is going to happen? What's going to be the result of this? Well, very simple. Abortion will be decided by, well, at least the legality of abortion will be decided by state legislatures and those who pass abortion laws and make them okay, they, under the circumstances and the legal guidelines of the laws they passed, their people in their states will be able to get abortions on the basis of what the law says. What will happen was what was going on before Roe v. Wade. 
People had to go from states that didn't allow abortions to states that did. It was inconvenient, no question about it. People didn't like it, but it was a law. And don't forget who the law comes from. It doesn't come from a bunch of elected or unelected bureaucrats or politicians. It comes from the elected officials that are elected to represent the people in their various states and counties in those individual states. Those are the people who are asking their legislators to make laws that govern this part of their lives just like every other one. No different. Represent the will of the people. Government of, government by, and government for the people. That's what this whole thing is about. It's not to do away with abortions, totally. There are a lot of people that want that to happen. In fact, the nation is almost split right down the middle about abortion to do it or not to do it. But here's the way the government has always worked. Government is made to serve the people and serve the will of the people. And it is very structured, federal, state, and local, to do just that. And instead of just throwing things out there all the time, which is pretty much where we are in this particular century in government, throw ideas out there, make a statement, make it sound like it's factual even when it's not, and people will, be, will begin to act upon those statements that are made thinking that those are legal statements if they come from someone in government. Oh, you know, my senator said this, so that's, that's the way it is. In many cases, that's not the way it is. It may happen that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean what they are talking about, what they do, or what they've done is the legal way that it was supposed to happen. That's why the federal court system is there. There's a whole process when you have a question about a piece of legislation like this Mississippi law. I mean, it's law. It's signed into law in Mississippi, but it was challenged, and it went all the way up through the court system, state and then federal, federal appeals courts, and it ends up on the desk of the Supreme Court. They determined it as other courts have determined it, but this one is the final word. There's nobody to appeal to above the United States Supreme Court. So what's going to happen? As we said, people will be able to go elsewhere, not just anywhere, but elsewhere, like California. Gavin Newsom, the governor there, he didn't waste any time. Yesterday, he vowed he would build a firewall around California in the form of a state constitutional amendment that guarantees abortion as a right. So this case in Mississippi, that's a big one. Nobody wants to talk about the specifics of the case. Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. It concerns a Mississippi law passed in 2018 that bans all abortions after the first 15 weeks into pregnancy. And the Supreme Court heard the case 
last fall. At that time, onlookers believed that the court was likely to uphold the Mississippi law, and they were basing that on the comments of the justices and oral arguments. Some, though, believed there were enough votes on the court to overturn Roe altogether, returning the question of abortion back to the states rather than allowing it to continue as a constitutional right implied in the right to privacy law. After this opinion was linked, leaked, supporters of abortion were furious. Governor Newsom tweeted that he and other Democrats were going to fight like hell. Our daughters, sisters, mothers, and grandmothers will not be silenced. The world is about to hear their fury. California will not sit back. We are going to fight like hell. And then he issued a press statement. California will not stand idly by as women across America are stripped of their rights and the progress so many have fought for gets erased. This is Gavin Newsom. We will fight. California is proposing an amendment to enshrine the right to choose in our state constitution so that there is no doubt as to the right to abortion in this state. We know we can't trust the Supreme Court to protect reproductive rights, so California will build a firewall around this right in our state constitution. Women will remain protected here. Now let me illustrate the insanity of the left. It's based on what he wrote in this press statement. This sentence, quote, We know we can't trust the Supreme Court to protect reproductive rights. You do understand what's wrong with that. The Supreme Court doesn't legislate, cannot legislate, does not create laws to protect anybody or any class of people. They're not sitting up there elected to represent the people. And these far-left people, like Gavin Newsom, they act like the Supreme Court has to sign on and back up everybody for some reason, for some purpose. That's not what the U.S. Supreme Court is about. They're not out there to pick winners and losers. All they are for, the only thing they are for, the U.S. Supreme Court, is to make sure any case that comes before them, remember, every case that comes to the Supreme Court, it's been through litigation at sometimes state, state appeal court, federal court, federal appeals court, and then finally to the U.S. Supreme Court. Those issues have been through the ringer by the time they get to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court doesn't even have to weigh in, doesn't even have to do anything. They can just decide not to take up any case that comes up there. And that happens hundreds of times every year. But they're not there to tell people, hey, here's here's what you need to do. You need to do this, 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 and this. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what they're constitutionally structured to do. They are the final arbiter of every complaint that comes before that court as those complaints pertain to the rule of law. 
and they put that side by side the U.S. Constitution. And that's the way they make their determinations. Gavin Newsom is a consummate politician. We know we can't trust the Supreme Court to protect reproductive rights. Well, he's not wrong. I mean, the way he said it is asinine. He made it sound like the Supreme Court's supposed to be there to protect us. That's not the case. They're there to make sure that you, every other governor, every other member of the United States Congress, every bureaucrat, every American citizen, what we do lines up with the rule of law and that nobody's out there playing cowboy and getting away with it. Folks, this is one of the big differences between the United States of America and other countries on the planet. We have the rule of law. And I think if nothing else, for people on the right, conservatives, I think if you don't get anything out of this other than this one thing, it will be worth the consternation you're about to go through. We're all about to go through because this is not sitting well and the left is going to make sure it is tested to the nth degree. The process works. You need to remember this. The process that was laid out, created, and put in the United States Constitution about this, it works. It works when people get mad. It works when people get hurt. People get their uh, their hopes and their desires shattered because when it comes to the U.S. Supreme Court, whatever it is on that particular issue that gets there, constitutionally it doesn't stand mustard. And the court rules against it. The process works when it's used. But when someone like a governor from California who has his eyes on the White House, that's where Gavin Newsom wants to end up. When they start calling the Supreme Court, calling the court out for not doing something that the Supreme Court not only is not supposed to do, can't do, which is do anything out in the open, being actively involved in any issues regarding anything in government. They can't do that. We have three co-equal branches of government, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. They all work together. They all interact with each other, and they interrelate, but they are each separate and individual. And the only time the Supreme Court gets involved in something is when the question comes up about its constitutionality. And they don't rule on anything but the merits of whatever that is based upon its constitutionality. They don't get into, well, this is politically correct, this is wrong, this is right. That's not what they're supposed to do. And instead of what Gavin Newsom said, we can't trust the U.S. Supreme Court to protect a woman's rights. No, you can't expect them to do that because they're not supposed to do that. Governor, you know who is? You. And the members of the California state legislature, you craft the laws. You enforce the laws. 
And if they pass muster, if they're tested in the court, and it ends up at the Supreme Court, whatever you pass, if it's constitutional, guess what? It's constitutional. It'll stand. If it's not, it wouldn't be the U.S. Supreme Court weighing in on the particulars in that bill that turned into a law that was being tested for its constitutionality. They do one thing and one thing only. They lay it down besides the United States Constitution. And if it's okay, if it lines up with the Constitution, it's going to stand. Otherwise, it's going to be toast. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Yesterday, our congressman, our friend, often on this show, Republican Mike Johnson, um, we were we, we chased each other. He was in the middle of a very busy day. Mike is a, a constitutional attorney. He has actually worked on the abortion project uh, for Louisiana, for the 4th Congressional District that he represents. But he's ran it all the way up the gambit in appeals uh, court history as a constitutional attorney. Uh, he couldn't get with us yesterday. He is totally locked down today. So he has promised tomorrow or Friday he will be getting with us to discuss this. And what he's so up to his eyeballs in is yesterday he introduced legislation that is going to defund that brand new Department of Homeland Security's Disinformation Governance Board, which is set to be led by 
Nina Jankowitz. He had 48 co-sponsors of this bill. Mike did. The bill would completely bar federal funding for the DHS's Disinformation Governance Board, something that he said the Republicans are going to do if Biden does not get rid of the board. The Biden administration's decision to stand up a ministry of truth is dystopian in design, almost certainly unconstitutional, and clearly doomed from the start. That's what he said, Mike Johnson said. The government has no role whatsoever in determining what constitutes truth or acceptable speech. President Biden should dissolve this board immediately and entirely. If he won't, then Republicans will. Jankowicz tried to discredit the Hunter Biden laptop story. When it came out, she did everything she could to poo its authenticity. She's now in charge of the DHS Disinformation Board. She already is. Interesting. Ron Johnson, Republican senator, sent a letter April 27th to DHS Secretary Mayorkas saying that Jankowitz is a beacon of misinformation online and mentioned that she has published multiple tweets, multiple tweets, furthering the false media narrative about the Hunter Biden laptop. Both the Washington Post and the New York Times, they verified the authenticity of Hunter Biden's laptop in March, more than a year after the News Foundation first verified it on October 29th of 2020. This just keeps building. It goes on and on and on and on. And what it always ends up, it ends up with a party, a political party that is up there trying to write rules and regulations that are unconstitutional with no authority, and they just want to ignore what the law says about everything. That's beyond scary. It's hard for me to believe that in the United States of America, that would even be considered, yet alone be allowed. Dagan on Fox Business. I like her a lot. She is uh, very in your face about a lot of particular things. She had former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee on to talk about some of this insanity. Now, former Arkansas governor and presidential candidate Mike Huckabee. Governor Huckabee, great to see you. It's no surprise because this administration and the Democrats are failing on every issue. Yeah, I can't think of one in which they're just uh, really nailing it, Dagan. And the fact is, uh, why would you hire Democrats to run the country, given how they've done over the past year and a half? I mean, the fact is, this would be like hiring a convicted arsonist to be your fire chief. You just don't act like that. You're not that dumb. And so uh, people look at the economy, they look at crime, they look at the borders, they look at the way we've managed Afghanistan and foreign policy, and across the board they figure it it just can't be that one party uh, can be so consistently bad at governing. And these were supposed to be the adults. Remember in the last election in 2020, we got to get the adults back in the room. We have to have the professionals. Well, if this is what adults and professionals do, let's bring out the amateurs and the kids. 
kids because they did a heck of a lot better. I've said it over and over again. It's a mistake to elect somebody based purely on personality. It has to be about the policy. And Joe Biden was elected as President Empathy. And my head's going to explode if I hear that one more time, that he shows empathy. Does he? Because he showed nothing but apathy for the Americans who are struggling, whether it's crime in front of their home, in front of their apartment building, whether it's people living along our border, and virtually every working American who is struggling with 40-year high inflation. And, and let's be real clear about uh, the personality issue. Uh, I know a lot of people say, well, Donald Trump could be rather uh, contentious and abrasive. Sure he could, but he got things done. Joe Biden is also abrasive and contentious. How many times has he yelled at a reporter? How many times has he shown a level of disrespect to the reporter by calling them an expletive in a microphone, no less, and then his press secretary doing the same? Even though, let's not forget, Joe Biden said that anyone who showed disrespect to the press would be fired on the spot. He repeated, on the spot. I'm just waiting for him to fire himself, his press secretary, and the biggest part of his staff. One of the most egregious things that he has said was standing in front of the American people at the White House and accusing border agents doing their jobs of whipping illegal migrants. It was a lie. He used the word strapping, but he said it. Yeah. Alejandro Mayorkas said it, and those individuals deserve an apology and frankly everybody trying to protect our border deserves an apology from this White House because they put their lives on the line uh, look no further than Bishop Evans when Jen Psaki got up there and said uh, well he didn't work for the federal government he worked for the state it's just appalling and just shows a complete lack of feeling for anyone moving on to Mayorkas what, what were you going to say governor well, I was just going to say what you just mentioned is so important because Joe Biden is not an editorial writer who made an opinion about what those uh, guys on horseback right. did. He's the president. He's the ultimate chief enforcer of the law. And for him to adjudicate a case before it was even investigated is a dereliction of duty to the highest order. And he needs to not just apologize to them, but to the American people for injecting himself into something prematurely, which he did, and he was dead wrong about it, the investigation proved they were right, Biden and uh, Mayorkas mm -hmm. were wrong. Right. Or apologize to the tens of thousands of families who've lost loved ones to fentanyl poisonings, because that fentanyl is coming across our open border. So what is the head of Homeland Security doing? We setting up a disinformation governance board. He weighed in on it this weekend over the leader of it, claiming that Nina Jankowitz is a renowned expert in the field of disinformation. This even as Jankowitz has repeatedly dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop story, praised the Steele dossier. Mayorkas also saying that the new DHS disinformation board will not monitor U.S. citizens. Governor Huckabee, your thoughts on this? The Wall Street Journal has an editorial about it saying that the, as he tries to sort truth from lies, it's going to promote more mistrust than it prevents. 
comes down to a simple thing, Dagan. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the government ought to be monitoring anybody's speech or their writings or their conversations with other people. It's simply not a function of government to do something. And if you're going to do something this stupid, then don't even add to the stupidity by bringing somebody in to run the thing who is genuinely, yeah, she's a, a, a an authority on disinformation because she's been the disseminator of some of the most outrageous disinformation mm -hmm. that the country has seen in a long time. This has to be stopped. It's not about who is in that position. There shouldn't be a position. Right. There shouldn't be an agency. Stop it. It's crazy. I'll leave you with this. I wrote this just for you, Governor. Supercalicommunistic, <laughs> expialidocious. Totalitarianism is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you will sound so odious. Super communistic expiali, get the heck out of here. <laughs> and and with uh, with great uh, aplomb to Julie Andrews, that was wonderful, Dagan. God bless you. I think you ought to record it and put no, it on a record. No, no. Bless me for not singing it. Because, Governor, you're also a preacher. I do not sing in church. You, If I'm caught singing onward Christian soldiers in church, the five pews in front of me turn around and start looking to see who's howling, to see if, like, a dog has gotten loose in the church. So... You can, I, I Those said Christian it. soldiers disarm. <laughs> That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> uh, thank you for being here this morning. It's always such a pleasure. Governor Mike Huckabee. Huckabee's really good at postulating, answering questions about the governing process from the executive level. He was a really, really good governor when he served in, um, in Arkansas. I just went blank. I started to say Alaska. He did a really good job there. And he ran for president. I, I don't think it was the right time for him to run for president then. I, I thought the field was too big. And uh, he's just one of those. He's a really nice guy. And it's, he substantively, there's a whole lot there. And he's a great moral guy, a Christian, former pastor, Baptist pastor. So he knows about the American psyche. He knows about dealing with people at the people level. That's why so many governors through the years have turned out to be really good presidents because they've been integrating in government with people at a more one-on-one -on -one level than does a lot of the other politicians that never served, even U.S. senators. It's one thing to know the law, and it's another thing to apply the law equally between everybody treating everybody the same from coast to coast, top to bottom. That's what constitutional law is about. We're all created equal. We all have inalienable rights. We're all equal. And of course, what happens in the political world, the left are very, very proficient at turning that word equality into equity. The difference being Equality is given by our creators, and that right is unalienable. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can take it away constitutionally. It belongs to the people individually. The left starting pumping this every sentence that should contain the word equality, changing that to equity, their purpose is 
to be able to manipulate all of the elements of what is going into that particular discussion. In equality, there is no discussion. Equality is absolute. It is what it is. It's the same thing as taking the word truth and morphing it into something that can be touched, be handled, can be edited. Oh, I've got my truth. You've got your truth. You live with yours, I'll live with mine. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth and those being different, but they're both being truthful. It doesn't work that way. In the real world, truth is absolute. In the real world, equality is absolute. So why the equity thing? In equity, somebody has to make determinations. And that somebody, the left, want to be them. In other words, they look at circumstances. They're the ones that are enlightened enough and empowered enough to go in and look at all of the circumstances and come up with the right result. Now, what is the right result? Very seldom in this scenario will it ever be equality. It will be a political partisan opinion that's based on what the left think it should be or want it to be, and they force that on everybody that's a part of that discussion. That's the difference between government of, government by, and government for the people. It is never supposed to be government of the government, by the government, and for the government. And this administration is doing everything within their power to take that away from being existent. They want to take that away. They want to take equality away and replace it with equity so that they decide what's okay. They decide what's legal. They decide what's right. And don't you dare disagree with them because if you do, you'll be kicked to the curb. You'll be one of those MAGA people. Well, the House of Representatives, Democrats, they didn't wait too long to use this abortion opinion, draft opinion that was released night before last, and they've weaponized it already. The House Democrats campaign chief, Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, Democrat of New York, he tweeted out Monday night, abortion will now become the central choice in the November midterms after Politico leaked that draft of that Supreme Court opinion that would overrule Roe v. Wade. Here's what he said. Republicans just gutted Roe v. Wade. Let me ask you this. Why, oh why, would anybody, other than for political partisanship purposes, why would they say this? Republicans just gutted Roe v. Wade. Republicans didn't gut it. Mississippi, novel idea, sir. The states are where this law is supposed to be made, where it was formerly, and where it needs to be. The state of Mississippi crafted and passed a law, an abortion law, that prevented abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. 
That went to the Supreme Court. It didn't go to the Republican National Committee. (laughs) It didn't go to anybody other than the judicial system, and it worked its way all through the courts up to the Supreme Court. They are not Republicans, and they did not strip anything from anybody. I'll continue with what he said. Republicans just gutted Roe v. Wade, the Constitution's guarantee of reproductive freedom. will ban abortion in all 50 states if they take over Congress. Only Democrats will protect our freedoms. That is now the central choice in the 2022 election. There's their number one talking point. Only Democrats will protect our freedoms. Republicans will ban abortion in all 50 states if they take over Congress. That's the talking point. Those evil Republicans, they'll steal your abortion rights, your your rights. They're going to take them away from you. This is all, this has nothing to do with abortion. Absolutely nothing to do with it. It's totally and solely about winning majorities, big majorities in the House and the Senate because they, the Democrats, are sucking eggs. It's about politics. It's not about a woman's right to choose. Women in this case and unborn children are merely political pawns that the Democrats are gladly saying, hey, 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 we've been looking for some way to get some credibility with which we can run a nasty election campaign and just call these Republicans anything and everything that we can come up with, women haters, you name it. They're going to come up with it between now and November. And then looking ahead from there, regardless of what happens in November, 2024 will be a bloodletting. I mean, people are going to die. Literally, folks, people are going to die over this. And if you think what little bit you saw the other night at the Supreme Court in the way of protest is all that's going to happen, uh-uh. They're going to make January 6th look like a picnic. I can see that happening. We're watching. We'll keep it front and center for all of you. We want to make sure that you're in the know and we keep informed so that you can make good and accurate and concise informations, uh, decisions about based on information that we give you. Let's move on. That's, that's a story <laughs> that's going to be with us for a long time. So we'll have plenty of time to come back to him. We haven't even talked about employment lately. We hadn't talked about the labor market A record number of American workers quit their jobs as of the last business day in March. Bigger number than ever. While the number of job openings rose to an all-time high, which all points to a really tight labor market, businesses are struggling to hire enough workers to meet demand. The Labor Department said in its monthly job openings and labor turnover survey on May 3rd, that job openings, which are a way they measure labor demand, it went up 205,000. It's now at 11.5 million, 
on the last day of March. That's the highest level in the history of the data series. The number of hires remained little changed in March, 6.7 million, while total separation, which includes quits, layoffs, and firings, edged up to 6.3 million people. Now think about that. You got 11.5 million people job openings for. The hires stayed the same, 6.7 million. While the number of layoffs and discharges remained flat, pretty much flat, the number of people who quit their jobs rose to a record high of 4.5 million. There were nearly twice as many job openings as there were unemployed people. Think about that, folks. Almost twice as many job openings as there are people to fill them. With employers continuing to face difficulties hiring workers while boosting wages even to attract and retain staff. Bankrate senior economic analyst Mike Homrick, he said the employment situation should give workers continued confidence but poses challenges for managers and for businesses. Difficulty finding qualified workers continues to be a major challenge for America's small businesses. That's according to a recent report from the National Federation of Independent Businesses. It showed that nearly half of small business owners in the nation raised compensation in March to attract talent. The later shortage, uh, the labor shortage has not eased on Main Street as the number of job openings exceeds the number of unemployed workers. Owners have continued to increase their compensation. They're paying more and more and more in March. Now they got them on on the payroll. They got to keep them on the payroll. People are leaving. Quits are happening at a greater rate than ever before. Not only is it just getting employees, you got to get the right employees for the open positions. However, these rising labor costs are going to have to be passed on to consumers. They're going to have to raise selling prices. I mean, if it's not inflation, if it's not oil and natural gas, if it's not grocery, if it's not that, it's something else. The NFIB report showed 22% of small business owners, they gave labor quality as their top business problem in second place behind inflation. So analysts are now looking to the Labor Department's closely watched employment report. It's due for release on May 6th, which will show how many jobs were created in our economy last month. Forecast put that number, they pretty much all agree it's going to be about 400,000, which would mark a slight drop over the prior month's 431,000 new positions. Jobs creation or hiring should be on par with the previous solid reading and the unemployment rate could slip to match the pre-pandemic low of 3.5%. Wage growth should be solid but insufficient to stay ahead of rising consumer prices. This is all headed toward horrible inflation. Horrible. You think it's bad now. Another couple of months of what we're talking about right now, labor, 
people quitting, going to the house, businesses not only not being able to find people to fill those positions, but to get people that have the right skills and expertise and commitment to work in these specific jobs. Meanwhile, the costs are going up. They continue to go up. And it's a daisy chain of price increases. None of it exists in a vacuum. Wherever, whatever it is, the goods or the service, the cost for all of those goes up and everybody involved in the chain that are touching that all the way from the beginning of it, if it's a a product or a service, all the way to the end user. Everybody in that daisy chain, their costs are going up. So they have to raise their prices. That's called inflation. And it's here. It's here like it's never been at least since the late 1970s and early 1980s, ushered in by the peanut farmer, Jimmy Carter. And it was horrible. Home mortgage loan rates were as high as 16, 17, 18%. Now put that in the context of 2.5% is what you can get a mortgage for now. Can you imagine with the interest that you're paying on your mortgage right now, Can you imagine if you were paying nine times that in your monthly interest payment? Think about that. An increasingly disturbing feature of our politics is the routine suppression of major news stories. They're cherry-picking news stories that reflect poorly on candidates favored by the media that are writing that particular story. The worst example in recent years occurred in October of 2020. Corporate news outlets, social media platforms, they colluded to bury that New York Post article on Hunter Biden and his laptop. Fortunately, some stories just are not susceptible to that type of censorship. And you know what's just like that? Inflation. Inflation is a case in point. It cannot be hidden from the voters because soaring prices shout the bad news from every grocery store shelf and every gas pump in the nation. Voters don't like what they're hearing. A brand new Gallup poll says Americans' confidence in the economy remains very low. Mentions of economic issues as the most important problem in the nation are at their highest point since 2016. When asked to specify the most important economic issue, the number one, what do you think it would be? Inflation topped the list. Not coincidentally, the poll found that Americans identified the government poor leadership as the most important non-economic problem facing us in the U.S. This is an evil portent for the Democrats who must defend their little congressional majorities in the midterms. The professionals who track American attitudes toward the economy, they say they see trouble coming. Angry voters, slammed by higher prices, scarred by two years of fighting the pandemic, they are happily waiting 
to punish Democrats in the midterms. That's according to some of the leading experts in consumer sentiment and behavior. And with inflation persisting and Russia's war on Ukraine stoking uncertainty, it looks like the public sentiment is getting worse every day, not better, posing a growth threat to Democrats' already slim chances of even holding on to Congress. They're not going to build their teeny, teeny majorities at all. Nor can they claim they weren't warned about it. Most good economists predicted that the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that Democrats pushed through Congress without a single Republican vote, they predicted that was going to ignite inflation. Lawrence Summers, who served in the Clinton administration as their Treasury Secretary, later as an economic advisor to former President Obama, he predicted more than a year ago that bill, the American Rescue Plan, was reckless, saying, I think this is the least responsible macroeconomic policy we've had in the last 40 years. I think there is about a one-third chance that inflation will significantly accelerate over the next several years. Now, when Summer's prediction proved accurate, Biden and his minions added insult to injury by claiming that inflation is unrelated to that huge stimulus bill. First, they insisted the inflation spike was transitory, which means temporary. When that was shown to be BS, the White House said it was a high-class problem. So after all the laughter ended when he said that, they exhumed the corporate greed words and verbiage. In response to the eye-rolling that claim produced, our president introduced the Putin price hike. And no one is buying that either. Meanwhile, Fox Business reports inflation has erased any of the recent pay increases that workers have received. When an inflation-adjusted wages fall over the course of a year, the money you get is worth less. That means you can buy less. Cost, everything costs more. The Wall Street Journal explained it this way. In April of 2021, disposable income per capita was $48,641 in 2012 chain dollars. In March of this year, that amount has fallen from $48,641 to $45,997. That's a decline of almost $2,700, about 5.4% decrease. Now, if you're on a fixed income, (laughs) that is a shot in the chops that you can't handle. If you and your spouse are on Social Security and get $65,000 per year combined, you now receive $3,510 less than you did a year ago. And that $61,490 you now receive is paid in dollars that are worth far less than the greenbacks you paid into Social Security throughout your working career all those years. Folks, that is why inflation really matters. It really matters to retirees and low-income individuals in general. It's why neither corporate news outlets nor social media can bury the story. 
It's the 900-pound gorilla in the room. What room? Every room that you walk into. You live in it every day. The prices you pay for food, gasoline, housing, tell you all you need to know about inflation. They also tell you that our president and his congressional accomplices have no idea how to fix it. Economists often refer to the term price as a package of information. The information contained in today's skyrocketing prices can be summarized this way. Throw the bums out. (laughs) Throw them out. What do we say almost every day when we look at things like this and we try to analyze and reanalyze and rip it apart, look at the inside, turn it around, look at the backside and come up with a positive solution or a way to make it better? What do we always say? Obviously, it's not working. Something needs to change. But when something needs to change, it won't work unless the whole process changes. But the whole process is not going to change if something in it that's causing the problem isn't changed. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want something to be different? Novel idea. Make changes in it. This administration... Joe Biden is president. Only thing that matters is he gets his way. Whatever he says he wants, he says he is doing everything he does for the people. I'm the people's president. And if he doesn't get his way, oh, you're penalizing the people. It's like this abortion thing. It's not just a tool for the opposition to use in a midterm election campaign, and then a presidential campaign in 2024. It's an everyday bullet. They scream it. They fire it. They pick it up off the ground and put it in a gun and fire it again and again and again and again. They're stuck on it. That's all we're going to hear. We're not going to hear anything different from that between now and November. And then even after that, towards the 2024 election. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central for Dan Newman, TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Long live the courageous. Tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength. 
overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. regarding the government. I mean, do you sweat it? Do you worry about it? Do you fret about it? I got to be honest with you. We went through a cycle of time when news just went totally bonkers about everything. There was no middle ground. You know, the period I'm talking about, it, it was during the Obama administration. Maybe more so in his second four years than in his first four years. And I guess maybe that's because we got to know him, know how he operated. And I think the angst that really escalated, and it got to a point where people literally began to hate that president. And let me just say this. I'm a Christian. I think we should love everybody. That doesn't mean when we say love everybody, it doesn't mean that we have to like everything they stand for. We don't have to like everything they do when they're in power. But what we have to do is separate them from the actions. And that's hard to do, especially when every day your political opposites are in your face, in your grill, screaming and hollering and making allegations against you. It's like what we just talked about. You just heard the head of... um, Uh, in the Democrat Party, the head of referencing and news and hyping up to come up with different things to grab a hold of to use against Republicans in the midterms, made the statement. They don't want women to have their own rights. And the Supreme Court, we can't trust them to stand behind women's rights. They're going to beat that horse until it's way past dead over and over and over again. There's no truth in that whatsoever. But isn't it sad in politics? Truth really isn't an issue. It's narrative, political narrative and opinion. That's all that matters. And I hate to be negative about that. But it's just the way it is. You know something? We've left out of the conversation here today that's still going on. And I think if this was front and center in each of our lives, we wouldn't be having some of these conversations that we have. We would be centered more on the really important things. Really important things. I mean, in this Supreme Court thing, this opinion that was leaked, if that ends up being the way it goes... Let me tell you all it means. All it means is if you want an abortion, you're not going to be able to go downtown and get it in most states. But what it will do 
it will allow you to go to one of the states like Gavin Newsom. He's up there screaming and hollering, and he's going to turn California into abortion heaven. You can go to California. You'll probably be able to go to places like Oregon, in Washington, up in the Northeast, probably Vermont. Uh, Where else up there? Maybe Massachusetts? I don't know where. But women will still be able to get abortion. This is not as they are portraying and will beat the horse, as we said. Beat him over and over and over again. They'll beat him with this. You want to make abortion illegal. You want to put women that get an abortion and the doctors that give it to them, you want to put them in jail. It's not what it's about. It's about making it not a federal law. It puts it back in the hands of the states. The states are the direct representatives of the people, not Joe Biden. Yeah, he's the commander-in-chief, but he doesn't represent me or you individually. The members of your state legislature are those people. Those are the places and the people where these laws are supposed to be crafted according to the U.S. Constitution, at least according to the read of the Constitution. Apparently, um, five of these justices agree that the Constitution should not apply to the legality at the federal level of abortion. That's not me talking. That's at least five of the justices serving on the court. So why don't we sidestep and get away from this? We're going to go to Ukraine in just a few minutes and kind of get an update of the latest what's happening over there. But I wanted to tell you something. You know House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has several kids. She's got a son that works closely with her husband, Paul Pelosi. But she has a daughter named Christine. She is a hardcore leftist, and she is probably twice as opinionated as her mom. I've seen her in several interviews, and she can rip people to shreds. Of course, her mother does too. Well, she got after the White House Correspondents' Dinner last week. And listen to what she said. She called that Correspondents' Dinner a greater threat to democracy than Elon Musk's recent purchase of Twitter. Here's what she said. I love this term. A nerd prom week of corporate media fetting the politicos they cover with celebrities and booze rather than a simple White House Correspondents Association awards dinner celebrating the First Amendment is a bigger threat to our democracy than Elon Musk buying Twitter. Christine Pelosi, Nancy's daughter, she's a Democratic strategist who's been the chairwoman of the California Democrat Women's Caucus and an executive committee woman for the Democrat National Committee. She never has shied away from weighing in on political matters. Her mother has been either speaker or House Democrat leader since 2003. Think about that. Almost 20 years. And Nancy's been a member of Congress since 1987. But Christine Pelosi emerged on the national stage right after the 2016 presidential election in an attempt to prevent the Electoral College 
from voting for Donald Trump. You don't hear anything about that. Oh my gosh, she went crazy. She was active. She was trying to change the constitutional election laws. You know, like those evil January 6th MAGA people did. She didn't get arrested. She's also opined on issues like Governor Gavin Newsom's recall, her mother ripping up President Trump's State of the Union address, and San Francisco Giants owner Charles Johnson donating to the campaign of Lauren Boebert of Colorado. (laughs) She had the Twitter problem that many have. She was briefly suspended from Twitter in 2017 when she treated this that Rand Paul's neighbor was right. That was in reference to when the senator's neighbor attacked him in his yard, left him with several broken ribs. Pelosi later deleted the tweet. By the way, the annual White House correspondent dinner returned to Washington last week after a two-year hiatus. Why? COVID-19. President Biden regaled the audience with jokes about his age and his low approval ratings, making a departure from the habit of his predecessor who refused to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And of course, we all know why Donald Trump did not go, because he was the subject of most of the jokes that were told. Why would he want to go sit face-to-face and listen to him deride him? (laughs) I don't blame him at all. I got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised that Joe Biden decided to go. A lot of the jokes that happened that night (laughs) were about him. So there's some interesting news coming out of the Ukraine-Russian war. We know the Russians have just been tearing cities in Ukraine from one side to the other, from top to bottom. And they still, in 65 plus days, are unable to take over Ukraine. How long is this going to last? I don't know. Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has cried to his fellow leaders and nations around the world, help us, help us. And he doesn't want money. He doesn't want armies to come in to fight with the Ukrainian people. What he wants is weapons. Give us the weapons. We'll take care of our opponents. So apparently, they did just that. The Ukrainians attacked Russia inside the borders of Russia. As we mentioned, a local official in the Russian city of Belgorod is reporting powerful explosions there overnight. ABC's Marcus Moore joins me live now from Kyiv with more on this. Uh, Marcus, what do we know at this point about these possible strikes in Russia? Well, we, we know that the the strikes, there have been powerful explosions there, and it does speak to the unpredictable and the very volatile situation that's unfolding in the east where the heaviest fighting has been taking place. That is the part of the country, particularly the Donbass region um, in the east of Ukraine, that the Russians have been focusing a lot of their resources and their attention as they try to achieve strategic and military goals there ahead of the May 9th Victory Day uh, celebrations uh, that many observers say the Russians will be trying to establish some type of win uh, before that date. Now, a lot of the fighting, as we've said, has, has been happening in the in the east. There have also, though, 
um, Diane, been airstrikes in the southern part of Ukraine, particularly in Odessa and obviously in Mariupol, where we have focused a lot of our reporting on the dire situation there. So this continues to develop this war now in its 68th day. The airstrikes and the fighting continues. And Marcus, I know you spent time with the Territorial Defense Force in Ukraine over the weekend. What are their priorities now that the battle for Kyiv has you know, essentially been won, or at least considered that way, and Russia seems to be shifting focus to the east? Yeah, it is important to point out, Diane, that while we are, in, we are past the two-month point of this war, 10 weeks of at least that the fighting has been happening here in this most current conflict, uh, the Russians were trying to take Kyiv. And they were unsuccessful in that. And the, the soldiers, the people we met over the weekend, uh, many of them were volunteers who had everyday lives before joining the Territorial Defense Force. We saw a father and a son who joined the force as well as a 19-year-old college student. He was studying at a university or a college in, in Bucha and decided to forego his studies to join this defense force to defend his country. And uh, when you talk to someone like that, I asked him why, and he said there really is not a question of why, that it was something that you were supposed to do. We met them this weekend as they were continuing to not only defend the city, but also train on ambushes and patrols because they are very cognizant of the fact that this war is still ongoing and that there has been some suggestion and threats that Russia could try to come back to Kyiv and they want to be ready for that. We saw the trenches that they had in place to defend the, the, the city of Kyiv where the Russians got within just a few miles of the city and they were able to repel them. So while things are much calmer here, they admit that in the first weeks of the war. It was very tense. There was a lot of fighting. In the most recent weeks, things have been very relatively quiet. There have been air raid sirens and, and an airstrike as recently as Friday, but it is certainly not the situation that they saw very early on in this war. But they're not letting their guard down yet, Diane. They are still ready and say they will fight until the very end to protect this country. And Marcus, President Zelensky says that the first group of civilians have been evacuated from that Mariupol steel plant where a Ukrainian military unit is making a last stand. But he also says roughly a thousand are said to still be trapped there. What's the latest? Diane, the latest information we have, and keep in mind that information is very hard to come by in Mariupol because there are very few reporters or journalists there, and information is not flowing as freely as in some of the other areas. But we know, according to the Mariupol City Council, as well as government officials, that there are as many as a thousand, mainly women and children, who have taken refuge in a steel plant that we have reported on extensively. This steel plant, the scene of a not only a bunker, a, a safe haven for people who were trying to flee the fighting. But there are also the remaining Ukrainians there in that city who have been fighting and who have been trying to hold on. This location, this particular location in Ukraine has been viewed as a symbolic area in the sense that this is a city that Russia has tried to take. It is a city of roughly before wartime, roughly 500,000 people in the city itself. And so Russia wanted to take that, wants to take that city. And if they are able to succeed in that, they could achieve some military goals and, and taking control of the eastern uh, part of Ukraine. And in the midst of all of that, you have everyday people who are caught in the middle of the fighting, who for weeks, Diane, have been trying to get out 
to safety, and they haven't been able to do that because of the constant shelling. And over the weekend, there was a, a ceasefire that was negotiated between Russia and Ukraine, and the UN was involved in that, as well as the uh, International Crescent and Red Cross that helped to facilitate the evacuation of dozens of people. And the hope was that they could evacuate more today, but there are still many who remain trapped in that plant. You know, you're not seeing news reports about this war like we have over the last couple of months. And I sat yesterday thinking through why. Why are we not seeing it? The the fighting's still going on. It's still vicious. Russians are still slaughtering people in Ukraine and devastating infrastructure of every kind. I mean, massive building projects. The nation of Ukraine, the big cities they've been after, look nothing like they formerly did just weeks ago. And when I say devastation, I mean I do not see how any nation will be able to rebuild from what they are looking at now when they look out their windows, if they still have windows. We're not talking about five years. We're not talking about 10 years. 15, 20, 25 maybe. Vladimir Putin and his troops and this unprovoked attack on a sovereign nation has obliterated everything about that nation other than its people. The Ukrainian people obviously are Stoics in the greatest sense of the definition, which means they don't let bad circumstances change them. They don't let their emotions flow one way or the other when something bad happens. They stay in there. They zero in on their cause, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and they don't let the distractions distract them. Those are choices that they're making. I don't know any other country in the world. I'm sure they're out there. But I don't know anybody else that could do what they're doing in the face of this. And I mean, they're getting pummeled. Meanwhile, back at home, well, not home, let's go to the Potomac. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., the center of the government of the greatest country in world history. In Washington, D.C., where you would think everything would be straight and by the book, a public elementary school there gave children as young as four years old a lesson on anti-racism that asked them to identify racist members of their families. Now, according to a November 30th letter from Janney Elementary School Principal Danielle Singh, students in pre-K through third grade participated in an anti-racist fight club presentation by Speaker Doyen Richards. As part of this work, each student has a first book, a fist book, excuse me, to help continue the dialogue at school and home. Linking to Richard's presentation, this is Singh's letter. We recognize that anytime we engage topics such as race and equity, we may experience a variety of emotions. This is a normal part of the learning and growing process. As a school community, 
We want to continue the dialogue with our students and understand this is just the beginning. So Richard's Anti-Racism Fight Club Fistbook for Kids explains that white people are a part of a society that benefits them in almost every instance, and that it's as if white people walk around with an invisible force field because they hold all of the power in America. If you are a white person, white privilege is something you were born with, and it simply means that your life is not more difficult due to the color of your skin. Put differently, it's not your fault for having white privilege, but it is your fault if you choose to ignore it. The Fistbook for Kids says that anti-racism isn't a spectator sport, but it requires being loud, uncomfortable, confrontational, and visible to ensure change is made. A series of questions published in the book ask the kids this, where do you see racism in yourself? This requires true soul searching. Be real with yourself. Don't feel guilt or shame and own it. It's the first step in becoming an anti-racist. Under a section titled, How to Deal with Racism from Loved Ones, the book teaches kids that just because someone is older than you doesn't mean that they're right all of the time. If someone doesn't believe the people should be treated equally based on the color of their skin, then they are the problem. Parents need to stop making excuses for that behavior if they truly believe in any racism. Who in your family has racist beliefs? Do you think you can change their ways? What is your strategy for dealing with them? So after the presentation, the school sent parents a link, a resource link, that when they click on it, it directs them to Richard's original Anti-Racism Fight Club Fistbook for Adults, which declares that racism is as American as apple pie and baseball. As we sit here today, and I know some of you that are listening to this, you're spitting in your coffee cup or whatever you're drinking right now. This is really happening. It's really happening. It continues. It says, as we sit here today, it is still woven into the fabric of our homes, communities, schools, government, economic system, healthcare, and so much more. As a matter of fact, it would be difficult to find one facet of our society where racism does not exist. White supremacy isn't the shark. It's the ocean. This is being taught in Washington, D.C. The original Fist book also claims that if the police don't murder citizens without penalty, then the riots and looting don't happen, and that your feelings about Colin Kaepernick serve as a great barometer of how you would feel about Dr. King during the Civil Rights Movement. If you hate Kaepernick now, you'd hate Dr. King if he was alive today. And do you know what's funny? In 50 years from now, white people will probably talk glowingly of Kaepernick as they are with Dr. King now. Stop using his quotes to benefit your racism. 
D.C. Public Schools provides joyful and rigorous academic experiences for our students and is committed to advancing educational equity. There's that word, equity. In December, a resource link with this content was shared in a parent newsletter at one of our schools. It is not part of our DCPS curriculum, was not shared with students, the district said. If you believe that, raise your hand. No, go ahead. If you believe it, raise your hand. If you believe that wasn't shared with students, raise your hand. You know it was. Commenters claiming to be parents at Janney Elementary complained about the November 30th presentation and the Facebook for Kids on the D.C. Urban Moms and Dads online forum. I am so glad that I've not had any kids growing up at this particular time and having to deal with this. This is nothing but indoctrination in the worst ways among the most gullible, the most susceptible, and the most trusting among us, our babies. This is just nuts. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coach. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. Wow. <laughs> I think I think it's a little bigger than, than the show is. What do you do? Oh, that Pete Moss. He comes up with some stuff. Pete Moss, one of the best announcers on the planet. He's been around for a lot of years. He and I worked together in radio back in... Uh, 
19, early 1980s. Wow. Well, that was a long time ago. Things have changed since then. Yeah, he's up in Chicago making big bucks doing this kind of stuff for networks. And here I am in Bayou Country sharing my day with you. I love doing this. I love being with people who I know, people that I don't know, but we have commonalities that we share with each other. I think that's a big deal. Thank you for making me a part of your life, period, and this show and the website. It's all a family affair as far as we're concerned, and you are all part of our families. Well, there's news from the Supreme Court other than what's going on the furor, the uprisings, and all that kind of stuff over that leaked opinion that was penned by Justice. Um, Which one did it now? I've, I've gone blank. Anyway, it's really set the world on fire about abortion and about the pending, according to this opinion, draft that was issued. Alito, sorry about that. Um... Anyway, there's a whole lot of more stuff going on. The Supreme Court's doing other stuff. This one I think you'll kind of like. They ruled unanimously that a program of the city of Boston that allows outside groups to fly flags at its city hall, it ruled that they must permit the flying of a flag with a cross that a camp referred to as a Christian flag. The question that came before the court was whether flying the flag as part of a government program was considered government speech if the flag belonged to a private organization, in this case, Camp Constitution. And the Supreme Court ruled very simply that it is not. We conclude that, on balance, Boston did not make the raising and flying of private groups' flags a form of government speech. That's Justice Stephen Breyer. He wrote on the court's opinion stating that, as a result, the city improperly violated Camp Constitution's free speech rights. Boston, on the other side, they argued that flying the flag was government speech because it was the city's flagpole. That makes sense, right? Indeed, the pole is normally used to fly the flag of Boston when it's not used for this program. During the oral arguments, the city's attorney, a guy named Douglas Harry Hallward, Dremeyer, hyphenated, Hallward Dremeyer, noted that the city's website says, we commemorate flags of many counties, many countries, and our goal is to foster diversity, which would indicate that it is the city's decision to fly the flags in order to promote its own message. Attorney Matthew Staver, representing Shirtliff, argued during oral arguments that the city's policy specifically used the phrase public forum, which would indicate that the flags would be an expression of the private speech of the group that applied. But in the court's opinion, Justice Breyer recognized there was evidence for both sides. He made clear that if this was government speech, Boston would have been within its rights to deny the camp's application to fly the flag. The First Amendment's free speech clause does not prevent the government from declining to express a view. When the government wishes to state an opinion, to speak for the community, to formulate policies, or to implement programs, 
it naturally chooses what to say and what not to say. That must be true for government to work. In cases like this where a government invites the people to participate in a program, the boundary between government speech and private expression can blur. So in order to decide whether speech like the flag program in government or private speech, the court has to take a holistic approach that looks at the context of the situation. In the past, he said, the court has looked at history, the likely public perception of the speech, and the extent to which the government has actively shaped or controlled the expression. Can you believe how deep this is? How in the world do these justices, and I know they've spent their entire lives in law, either as in private practice as an attorney or as a district court, maybe a federal judge, and they end up on the bench in the Supreme Court. I get all that. But they have to dig so deep into this. How many times when they're considering this does one of these justices, do you think, say, well, what about this? I mean, it's almost like nothing is absolute. He stated, Breyer did, that the general history of flag flying would support Boston, but this is only our starting point before looking at the history of this particular flag flying program. Addressing public perception, Breyer said that the circumstantial evidence does not tip the scale. He said that while the public might ordinarily associate a flag's message with Boston, that may not be the case here because a Boston city flag is regularly lowered so that others could be raised in accordance with the program. The raising of the private flags is often accompanied by a ceremony by the private group without government support. Finally, Breyer looked at the degree to which the city government controlled the raising of the flags and their messages. The answer, it seems, is not at all. And that is the most salient feature of this case. The court's opinion pointed to how Boston said their goal is to accommodate all applicants looking to hold events in the city's public forums, including City Hall Plaza, and the flag-flying application only asked for contact information and a short description of the event being requested. Where I'm from, that's called splitting hairs. But isn't everything coming out of the Supreme Court now? Splitting hairs. It's a fine line between everything. I just don't see how they do it without pulling their own hair out and getting in knife fights when they're together in considerations, having conversations about issues that come before them. Have you heard this really strange situation that's coming out of Alabama from a couple of days ago? Correction officer in Alabama, Vicki White, She is wanted now. Now, she is a correction officer. She is wanted. She's being charged of aiding the escape of murder suspect, a guy named Casey White, a guy 6'9". My son Caleb is 6'9". That's a big man. And so Alabama's issued an arrest warrant 
for a missing Alabama correction officer now believed to have assisted at that jail murder suspect helped him escape four days ago, authorities confirmed. At a press conference, Lauderdale County Sheriff Rick Singleton confirmed an arrest warrant has been issued for 56-year-old Assistant Director of Corrections, a woman named Vicki White, on a charge of permitting or facilitating an escape in the first degree. We know she participated. Now, whether she did that willing or if she was coerced, threatened somehow to have participated in this escape, we're not really sure. But we know for sure she did participate. So investigators got some new video showing the patrol vehicle in which White and inmate Casey White, they're not related, by the way, left the detention center on Friday morning. The video shows the patrol vehicle stops at an intersection just eight minutes after leaving the jail, indicating they never headed the courthouse before abandoning the vehicle in a parking lot. Singleton said investigators are working to verify several tips on what kind of vehicle the pair is believed to have switched into. The sheriff said investigators at his office are working to determine if there was any kind of relationship prior to this. Those of us who worked with Vicki White and have done so for years, this is not the Vicki White we know by any stretch of the imagination. She has been an exemplary employee. I was told by the director of the jail that Friday night it was like it was a funeral wake. The employees are just devastated that she was involved in this. They're concerned for her safety, as are we, and we just hope this has a good ending. Vicki White, she'd been with the department for 17 years. She had talked about retiring for the last three years or so and moving to the beach. Friday, the day she disappeared, was scheduled to be her last day on the job. Though her retirement papers had not been filed in the state retirement system, pending an exit review with the personnel director, the sheriff said she probably had access to some cash from the recent sale of her home. The sheriff revealed Monday that inmate White had been caught plotting an escape from Lauderdale County Jail back in 2020, and after a shank was found in his possession, he was transferred back to the State Department of Correction. He returned to the jail on February 25th to attend scheduled court appearances in the area until the end of May when he was supposed to return to state custody. This is now a major case for the U.S. Marshals Service, which triggers additional resources. Now, what about this guy, White, 38 years old, 6'9". He was awaiting trial at the Lauderdale County Jail on two counts of murder, capital murder, in connection to the September 2020 brutal stabbing of 58-year-old Connie Ridgeway when he disappeared on Friday. Authorities say White had already confessed to the murder ahead of the trial. The escaped inmate, described as standing 6 feet 9 inches tall, weighs approximately 260 pounds, has brown hair and hazel eyes, had already been serving time for a 2015 crime spree. Authorities say involved a home invasion, carjacking, and a police chase. That's what a capital murder charge is, the possibility of death so he has nothing to lose. With his violent past, he is extremely dangerous. 
there's going to be some law enforcement officer somewhere in this country or maybe even in this state who are going to come across this guy. I can't emphasize enough to our brothers and sisters in blue, don't take any chances with this guy. Hey, honestly, 6'9", 260 pounds, I imagine he gets his way pretty much everything that he uh, he gets involved in. We're not going anywhere. We're still here. Mike Rowe, you know who he is, Mike Rowe. He's got some great insight into a lot of things regarding our economy, labor, working, education. He's up next, and he's going to weigh in on what's going on regarding the truth of inflation. You're going to want to stick around for this. It's up next. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky Sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all, cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste, and you're in love. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Remember this? Walk this way. This was really the very first rap song. Very well-known riff there. Anyway, you probably could sing the first few lines of it. Uh, Things have changed since then. Rap music's nothing like it used to be back then. I think it was the early 80s. Gosh, I'm old. I can't even remember all that kind of stuff. Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe was the guy that he did the dirtiest jobs. He had that series for years. I mean, he did some nasty stuff. I think you'll agree. He is very, very adept at understanding what goes on in the minds of workers in the United States. A lot of blue-collar workers. And he also is very attuned to what's going on in the economy around him and how it works and what makes it thrive and what hurts it. Well, he weighed in on inflation. I heard him give this, and I thought it was very applicable, and I wanted you to hear it. Here's Mike Rowe. All right, welcome back. A brand new poll reveals that soaring inflation remains a top concern. Look at that number right there. 94% of us are concerned or upset by inflation. Meanwhile, U.S. truckers are certainly feeling the pain, too, as diesel prices hit an all-time high yesterday at $5.29 a gallon. 
here with reaction, somebody who, I don't know if you use a diesel, but he is the host and executive producer of How America Works on Fox Business, new season tonight, Micro. Mike, good morning to you. How are you, Steve? This, these prices are killing the truckers. I get videos almost every day now from people we featured on Dirty Jobs and on How America Works. Mm -hmm. They're just sending me videos of them at the gas pump. And some of them are filling up, you know, 18 wheelers. And I'm not kidding you, $1,100, $1,200. Most people, all we can think about, we see the price for us and in relative terms, right. we know it's, it's awful. When you put $1,200 in your gas tank, mm -hmm. and just six months ago, it was costing you six or $700, right. the, uh, the exponential reality of it is starting to sink in. Mm -hmm. you, you, you just can't walk that back. It touches every single thing that matters in this country, from food production to transportation, obviously, all of it. Right. My gas station now has a loan officer. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. <laughs> Um, but are, <laughs> jokes, jokes at this hour. <laughs> Why? Look, if you don't laugh, you're going to wind up crying. Uh, are, are truckers buying the Putin price hike? The ones I know aren't. They're, the guys I know in this business have been. Guys said to me the other day, it's like it's like falling down the stairs in slow motion. You know, it's we know it's coming. We're watching it happen. It's happening in real time. Mm -hmm. And it's not just diesel. It's not just gasoline. If, if, you, if you bring it back to food, and tonight's episode is all about beef production in this country, and it's an eye-opener. But you have to talk about fertilizer, too. Mm -hmm. The cost of... There's no food without fertilizer in this country. The cost of fertilizer is hundreds, the roof. hundreds of percent higher than it was. When you combine that with the cost of energy... The average person is, has now really gotten the memo, but not from the gas pump, from a restaurant, a steak. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the cost of a steak is almost 2x what it was six, seven months ago. You have perfectly set up a clip from tonight's episode of How America Works. Here's Mike Rowe on a cattle ranch in Oklahoma. Cody takes position as one of the lead ropers. Now basically what I'm going to do here is I'm going to ride gently up into the herd of calves. I'm not going to get in no big hurry. I'm just going to kind of ease up in here to them. I'm just going to just slowly go back to the guys. And uh, they're going to throw him on the ground. And this, you know, uh, life on America's farms, on America's ranches, that's how your, one of your original shows got started. Yeah, I mean, Dirty Jobs began as an attempt to reconnect the country to fundamental things. Where's your energy come from? Mm -hmm. Where's your food come from? History, too, right? All those things, I think, in a really general way, not to paint with too broad a brush, but I think a lot of people are starting to feel untethered mm -hmm. from the basic underpinnings that make things sane and commonsensical. And so part of what we try and do on How America Works is just remind people that cowboys are more than a, a trope or a bromide or a thing you see in movies. Mm -hmm. It's real. It's happening every day. And the, and the pressure, the pressure you see, last week we looked at law enforcement. Tonight, we look at food production, ranchers, cowboys. We look at all the industries that matter most, and it always comes down to people. Mike Rowe, he, um, 
he does some amazing things, but it's all at the people level. Interactions with people about their various lives. You know, the dirtiest job. All those jobs that he did, he went in and did the dirty jobs with the people. Those people do those jobs every day. Most Americans don't relate to that. Micro didn't relate to that. But he went in just so he could get a sense of what people were going through. It's interesting. One thing you got to say about him, boy, he's got a voice, doesn't he? My gosh. He's got a set of pipes. Going to end the show today with some information I think you need to know about. Georgia election officials issued subpoenas to get the identities of individuals, non-governmental organizations who may have engaged in ballot trafficking. The offenses are alleged to have occurred in both the 2020 presidential election and the 2020 U.S. Senate runoff election in Georgia. The people that got the subpoenas or the election watchdog organization, True the Vote. The group's founder, Catherine Engelbrecht, and the research contractors that worked on the 15-month investigation into illegal vote trafficking in Georgia and a half dozen other swing states. We presented our data a year ago to Governor Kemp, who's a Republican, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They covered it up for seven months, alleged Engelbrecht, in an April 30th television interview on Real America's Voice. The GBI told us, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, told us they had no jurisdiction. We gave our data to the FBI in Atlanta. No response for seven months, she said. We filed a full complaint with the Georgia Secretary of State in November of 21. We heard nothing for six months. Finally, we got the subpoenas. In January 2022, Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger, also a Republican, announced that an investigation into TTV's allegation is underway. An investigative team from TTV used cell phone trafficking, geofencing, and video footage to show that 242 mules collected thousands of absentee ballots from voters and made 5,668 stops at drop boxes in the metro Atlanta area in late 2020. The data supplemented by statements from a whistleblower who also shed light on a number of NGOs orchestrating and funding the unlawful effort. Ballot harvesting was outlawed, by the way, in Georgia in 2019. Interesting, there was no voter fraud. No voter fraud. That's a wrap on the show today. Thank you for being here. Don't miss tomorrow's show, 9 a.m. Central, right here at TNN Live. We'll see you then. And thank you once again for joining us here at Truth News Network, TNN Live. Nobody ever loved me. You love us like girl and she loves me a lot and ain't no other man is gonna take my spot and I I'm so happy you're mine cause I'ma love you a long time let me love you a long time let me love let me love you a long time let me love let me love you a long time let me love let me love you a long time
loves me a lot And ain't no other man is gonna take my spot And I'm so happy so you're happy mine you're Cause mine. I love you a long time I love you a long time I'ma love you a long time 